0: Let's try to reestablish some boundaries. I I, I may be the exception, but I actually think that like having a life outside of work will likely make you a better employee than being a workaholic. I, I think all the data backs that up. I don't know why some people operate otherwise.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you'll hear one conversation after another that generates aha moments for you. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows enough about. It is so well hidden by the negative noise in our lives that I'm calling this wave, a conspiracy of goodness. And if you listen to this podcast regularly, you're going to be a part of that way. In fact, if you're listening to it now, you probably already are in your circles somebody who is considered a helper, a doer, a giver. And the guests on this podcast every week, though they come from all different genres, will give you fresh ideas, inspiration, and joy to think about. So, welcome again. I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of the Mothership website of this podcast, and that website is called The Goodness Exchange. There you can have instant access to um, insight and innovation going uncelebrated. Articles, videos, links, and inspirational things to real newsworthy content that should be rising to the top of our feeds every day, but it just isn't by the way the internet works. But we can change that. We're here. We're celebrating what's right with the world, and we're going to start that right now with a wonderful guest, Bob Glazer. Welcome, Bob.
0: Thanks for having me, or I guess having me back.
1: Yes, yes. <sighs> e- episode thirty-six during the heart of the pandemic, we we talked about. It, I, it really
0: feels like ten years ago. I think <laughs> no.
1: yeah. it was. I think it was within the first year for sure. Um, and uh, B- Bob wrote an amazing book that I. It's right here, all dog-eared <laughs> and crazy. It's called Elevate. And um, when I read this book, I kept thinking, oh my God, now there's a book I don't have to write because Bob is a master of timeless wisdom. He picks up on the details of of action and and thought and deed that we can all apply in our lives to our work life. And there's so much even in this book, Elevate, the subtitle is Push Beyond Your Limits and Unlock Success in Yourself and Others. And Bob, I have to tell you, that's what I love most about your work. Um, you're not just about unlocking success for, for yourself. You're constantly talking about others. And I find that the refreshing perspective that we all need in our lives right now is people who have a bigger worldview than their own success, but, and we can carry others along by being thoughtful and you certainly are. So <laughs> just thank you from the world.
0: <laughs> uh, thank you. Look, I, whether whether it's a feature or a bug like when I figure something out I inherently feel like it, I, I need to share it and, and and that's just my DNA um so so yeah I mean i I don't I, I, for me like what's what, a secret's not gonna not gonna do any good so I'm mean, that is literally my core purpose is to share ideas that help people in organizations grow so i I like to tinker with something try it think about it and then and then I think if it can help kind of get it out there
1: Okay, so I, I just have to share with you um, a bit about Bob's bio that um, that will help you understand the, the scope of the impact that he might have in your own working life and a personal life for that matter. Bob is the uh, founder and global chairman of Acceleration Partners, a business um, that has built an award-winning culture. They've been selected by Glassdoor, um, their Employees Choice Award, two years in a row. And that's not by accident. Again, as I mentioned, Bob has this refreshing perspective about seeing amazing things and taking other people with him. And he also has an award-winning newsletter in my mind called Fridays Forward. Gosh, Bob, the last time I checked, you had maybe a hundred thousand subscribers. I don't know. What's what's this, what? Tell us a little bit before we start about Fridays Forward, because does that is that where all your concepts sort of? Began this sharing of good ideas?
0: Yeah. Uh, and and it was sort of an accident. So I I the story of Friday Ford is I went on a leadership retreat and uh, there was a real focus on a kind of positive morning routine, which I really liked on reading something positive, writing something positive. And I came at it and I kept with it. Uh, and they had given us some books to read something positive. And it was a little like rainbow and unicorn y for me, kind of not not my sort of you know, I don't have toxic positivity, but not my positivity. And and so I was like, huh, I wonder if I combine this. Like and I had a folder with some quotes and some stories and some things that I like. So I just started sending this note to my team of kind of 40 people every Friday around a topic around getting better or otherwise. It wasn't about anything that we did and it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I'll give you the short version rather than the long version. but people started sharing that outside of the company with other companies, family, otherwise, and it kind of took off a life of its own. Eventually, I opened it up. And yeah, within a couple of years, there was 100,000 people in like 60 countries kind of reading that every morning. And now it's permeated its way through different organizations and otherwise. And it's funny, I have friends who will be like sent the email from someone on their team and saying like, you should check this out. And then the last week, he's like, that's my college roommate. Like, it's just, uh, there's some funny, just it's It's worked. It's way uh around but it's always a little it's always interesting some of the stories I hear
1: well I, I can highly recommend the newsletter I I only um have or make time depending on your perspective to read about four newsletters and yours is one of them I never I miss Friday I think
0: Seth Godin's is on your list too right yeah, Seth like it, Godin yeah. is
1: is one of the other <laughs> ones of course my own is the third one and then I've got another one I tell you um you, you're, you have a lot of common sense, and that's what I want to share with everyone today is your level of common sense about um, progress for all. Um, and, and your own personal journey is ser- certainly important, but again, it always seems to come back to let's communicate better. Let's create uh, pathways that have l- less friction uh, and for sure unnecessary friction. You're a master at pointing out unnecessary friction, Bob. Uh,
0: thank you. I haven't heard that that before but i i, I think i also i thought about trying to do a spinoff called like point counterpoint um where i where i argue both sides of the same issue because i i also think like there's a centrist mindset to a lot of these things that is really uh important and i i have spent a lot of time recently listening to people that i just really don't agree with or the opinion i don't agree with and trying to get something out of that um but but i think there is a there's a centrist viewpoint to most of these issues if you're willing to listen. And as someone who tries to be fairly centrist on these things, like I, I, I kind of try to ignore the one percent fringes, but then listen to kind of everyone else on the spectrum. And I, I think the problem with our world today is that people just don't want to listen to anything on, you know, that's 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 to the forty nine percent of of the other side, which doesn't actually get to any solutions. Um, so. Well.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that um I think that you and I both subscribe to a kind of a everyone has the ability to improve my way of thinking. Yeah. Almost everyone does. And if I just get in a conversation where I'm going, Oh no, they that person almost always says at least one line that I come away with thinking about for the rest of the day.
0: Well, here's 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 the topic of my Friday for this week. We'll give you the preview, like, would you hire someone for your business who you knew in the past was a drug dealer?
1: Uh, I did that once. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, I was just going to say, most people I think inherently would say no, not that they wouldn't, but, but it was just, there's an interesting story about someone I started talking to and why they were a drug dealer, right? And they had no other choice at 13 years old. And so there's, there's, there's context to all of, all of these things. And we tend to, we tend to kind of come into things with a lot of broad statements and generalizations. And I would hire this person in a second after having talked to them for, they're one of the hardest working people I've ever, talked to um and it was this discussion of a paradox of being on visiting one of my kids at college on my way to a college you know tour with another one talking to my Lyft driver and and got into some deep stuff about her past where she would have loved to go to college but her mom left her and her brother when they're alone they're 13 and she had to sell drugs to get food on the table like I was like that's not fair so part of my my story of that was like look our this is a concept. I don't know if I've expressed this in a Friday forward, but we tend to um, make big celebrations of exceptions when the rule and we kind of ignore the rule. And I think about this too in an organization. Like I've argued with people in my organization around things like counteroffers. They fail 95% of the time. People trot out the 2% of person where it worked. I'm like that's the worst thing you could do because you know it's a 95% failure rate. So you're telling me you you you're actually if we did this 100 times, we would be better off 95% of the time, but you're going to trot out the two exceptions. You know that that doesn't make any sense and you know we tend to look at these things around um and success and yeah we want we love the rags and riches story and the cream rises, rises to the top and like but the data doesn't really support that like the two longitudinal studies have said that again there's a lot of definition of success so let's just talk about financial success they have studied everything private school public school this whatever, whatever. your parents level of wealth is the number one correlator to your financial success in life and that's it yeah and and so that there that doesn't mean there are not these stories about Mm -hmm. the person who breaks through and rags they're great they're amazing stories but they're the one or two percent right they're not and and you know think about how many kids that you and i know started on the seventh out of eighth rung and they're on the probably fell down to the sixth rung because they didn't do anything valuable, you know, in their life. But but they're not going to fall any further than that, because there's a certain safety net there. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, the safety net is probably something. Okay, so before we get to now,
0: I just took us direction. totally off track. Yeah. So go ahead. yeah.
1: No, I, I think it's I think it's appropriate with the first question I wanted to ask you. Okay. The First question I want to ask you is, what have we been optimizing for? when it comes to teams that needs to change? I'm sure you see something there.
0: We have, I mean, the last decade, we have been optimizing for growth, but not growth of the person or the team, but the team to do anything that grows at all costs. And I think we have hit a wall with that, with, and it's a two-prong wall. We've hit the COVID fatigue wall in which growth is kind of a dirty word a little bit and we have hit the uh free cash uh investment you know free investment capital wall too and and so that's a big part of elevate your team and why it might not have resonated as much two years ago when we were still in that but I think now like in 2023 right now most organizations are playing defense they're not trying to grow they're trying to like no one knows whether recession no recession otherwise organizations need to grow but I don't think it's the type of growth that we've had, which is growth at all costs. Right. The analogy that seems to resonate people with people is if NASA commissioned a trip to Mars, and we built a vehicle, and we manned a crew, and we sent it to Mars, and it landed, and all the astronauts were dead, I don't think everyone in mission control would be jumping up and down saying, this is a super success. I think that's kind of been what's going on in our organizations is they've gotten to their growth goal, but all the people on board are dead. Um, So what's the point?
1: That is huge. That is huge. I've called the great resignation, as people called it, that phase where everybody was resigning, the great questioning. I think people – were questioning whether if they did this in this environment, another five years, what would what would their mental state be? You know, like a lot of it yeah. was, you know, the, a lot of the focus on employee well-being now comes out of the crash that you just described.
0: Yeah. And I, I had my own take on the great resignation. I, I I, and and I pushed a lot of people I thought were making bad decisions. I think I think it was a third, a third, a third. A third was this was an existential moment. I am in the wrong path, wrong career, wrong partner, otherwise, and they should make a change. Path two was, and maybe it's 25, 25, 50. Path two was, I, I, I realized I'm in a foxhole. I like what I do, I like the industry, but these are not people I wanna work with, so, cause I saw how they operate in bad times, and so I wanna find different people. The the largest group probably was like and I think this is a function of two decades of snowpow and helicopter parenting and all this stuff. The last group was this was really hard. The last so I need I wanna do something different. But that was the expectation that just the grass was greener or that it that I like the people I work with. I like that. It was just hard. And so a new job is going to make that easier and wipe that away. A new job is not, if you're burnt out, a new job is not going to solve that problem. If you're burnt out because you're just burnt out. And so a lot of people in that last bucket and the regret factor is something like 80 to 85% on who took new jobs because they did not take new jobs for the right reason. It's part of this. And by the way, the other thing I can't stand, which I'm going to try to articulate into a Friday forward is. When people talk about leaders or companies or they wanted these amorphous things that don't exist, it's humans. The same people who said that the, the companies were behaving so badly for so long did all the same things in the Great Resignation. They didn't show up for job interviews. They blew people off. They left without you know, all the disrespectful things that they claimed they didn't like. So I just, it, you know, when you have these power dynamics, this is what's happened. And I just saw something was like 80% of people regretted new jobs that they took and I think that's the people who just thought like that that was just the you know the grass was greener and I mean I we saw it at our team they just took jobs in 24 hours without doing any due diligence with a recruiter selling them on something and we tried to help them like look if you want to leave we have an open door policy we're happy to leave but like I don't know that company's offering you a 30% raise and a thing, and they seem to be losing a ton of money and like maybe you want to like ask around, but the problem is you sound a little bit disingenuous, but trying to get people to just not get wrapped up in a sales pitch because it's kind of like dating, right? As soon as, as soon as you break up, the first thing you do is look for the two opposite qualities that drove you crazy about the last partner. And then you forget about all the things that you really loved and liked about them. So I think people, I don't know. I, I, I thought, you know, th- there's this whole fake work thing now too where there are a lot of people that have jobs with nothing to do. But I, I thought the Great Resignation had a part that was really meaningful and I, had, I thought it had a part that was some of the worst problems of, of that we have today in that, like, you can't just erase something that's hard. Like, <laughs> that was hard. I, I, yeah.
1: And, the, and it was going to be hard wherever you worked. <laughs> hard wherever you
0: worked. And by the way, the companies that make Tons of money and go on to exit. If you listen to how I built it, they all had these existential moments where everyone went through it. If they all quit in those moments, none of that stuff would have happened. But you have to decide, are these the people in the... It was hard, but is this what I want... If I got to the other side, are these the people I want to do? That, that to me is the differentiation. Did you think smartly around, is this what I want to be doing? Is this the people I want to be doing? Or was it just hard? Because I promise you, if you worked in any restaurant industry, it was hard. But if you love restaurants, then like going to a different one, it wasn't going to make that, wasn't going to remove your burnout.
1: Plus, I, I think that um, that in that process of the grass is always greener on the other side, don't Have you ever noticed, and, and this is what I love about your book, there are so many um, communication techniques in here that keep this from happening, what I'm going to describe, but have you ever noticed how once an employee kind of decides that that they're going to leave or that they don't like where they're working, they look for information yeah. to validate only that point of view, and then they forget about all the good things that once attracted them to the place.
0: Every, everyone should actually have to take some courses in psychology to understand confirmation bias and, and yeah. cognitive dissonance, which is my favorite topic. And I just, I just I told you before my son and I were on uh, uh, college tours and we had a whole discussion about recency bias, like whatever tour he was on, that place was like the best place at the time. Right. So we like, we were actually talking about these things and we noticed a day later, the viewpoint of that one faded a little bit. Like they're, we were listening to Think Slow and Fast on the ride over here and he was talking about how you can anchor people around prices, right? And you could just throw out a crazy price and then ask people what they think something costs and the 50% difference, you know, in that. So there's there's a lot of psychology, I think, understanding those things, understanding ourselves, understanding the emotions behind these things, to me, Cognitive dissonance is one of the most important things that people can understand, because it's why do we make these mistakes and do this stuff? It's all to protect ourselves and our ego <laughs> you know, from this stuff. And if you haven't read the book, Mistakes Were Made Not By Me, it's one of my favorite titles ever. That is the book I gift the most to people.
1: Okay, I'm gonna write that down, but uh, any listeners should know that we, we keep meticulous show notes on the website at the Goodness Exchange. There'll be an, an article built around this interview and the podcast. Um, so if you get your podcast from Spotify or something, um, you won't see all this extra stuff. But we'll make sure that book is in the show notes. But
0: Linda, you also, you know, that reference, sort of the my TED talk around how do we eliminate two weeks notice? And, you know, part of the thing is, like, we're, we're just go look at the top companies on Glassdoor. Go look at their average tenure. It's like 1.8 years. We're all pretending like people are going to work at organizations forever. And the same psychological thing happens when I start to realize that you, Linda, are a great person, but are a terrible salesperson, and you are on my sales team, and it's not gonna work. And so rather than lean into our great relationship and say, Linda, I love you, I respect you, you've missed your quota four quarters in a row, is this what you wanna do? Like, should you be selling some, maybe textile is not what you should sell, maybe otherwise. I actually then do the reverse of what you said. I start to make you into a bad person because I know I have to do something that's difficult. And rather than leaning into the relationship, I actually kind of dehumanize you because it, it, it makes it easier for me to then do this bad thing rather than like, why can't we start having real discussions where you say, look, I don't want to be a salesperson. Can we talk about something else I can do? And I don't get, you know, caught up in my ego and pride enough to say, then you need to leave today. Right, because that's just this is all a old playbook of like work for life, which is not going to happen anymore. Everyone's work for hire. Like, why does this is the type of thing I want to revisit? Why does leaving have, like, have to be such a power dynamic that it looks like today? Why can't we do what organizations like McKinsey have done forever and say, oh, you want to leave? Let's train you. Let's help you go into the world. And they've created a whole generation of people that go out in our McKinsey net promoters and hire McKinsey.
1: Yes. I love this. I have to say that um, we're going to skip down to a question I was going to ask you about. That's related to that. Like um, a lot of times when we get in this, this narrative with someone about how they've got to go, or they start in a narrative about how they have to leave our business. We forget about, we forget about this whole concept that you mentioned the book right seat on the bus.
0: Yeah. And that look, that changes, right? So I I always say like, to me, an A player, I don't like this notion that someone is an A player or not a player. Like it's a universal statistic. You can become one, you cannot become one. So I stole a little bit from Jim Collins, right person, right time, right seat. If you have a team or organization that's growing 30, 40% a year, that seat, that need, everything is going to change. So it's a constant reevaluation. I'm not going to give away the end of my book. You've read it, but if you grow if you're the ceo of an organization every time that organization doubles you've got to make the decision of like do i want to do this like do i want to learn these new skills do i want to manage a 10 person team a 50 person team a 100 person team and if you do and you're doing it for the first time you got to reinvent yourself and you got to do stuff different so i it it's very hard for us to look at these things objectively What do I like to do? What do I want to do? What does the organization need? And I would posit that any growth organization, that stuff is going to be constantly changing. And that is why some people go from, you know, into an A player because the opportunity presents itself or out of an A player because they don't want it. They don't want to do it, but the job has changed. And this is where leaders earn their stripes, right? This is where, as a leader, you can't let something just keep failing because you're willing to, you're not willing to address it.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that brings us to that. When you were mentioning the A player, there's a great little part of the book about unicorns, A players. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk to us about those four qualities. It's hard
0: without the graph. So when you transcribe this, put the graph. But but um, I'll try to describe this. You have a two by two matrix, and it's sort of role and responsibility. Um, and and you imagine a line starting in the lower left, going to the upper right. That if that's the growth of the team or the organization that's how much the the responsibility you know is going the time and sort of the 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 responsibility is going to change so someone who comes in you know and can do what you need on day one but can't get any better and the organization's need line goes up in any instance whether it's marketing accounting or whatever they're quickly going to be an underperformer because they can't do what you need them to do right if they only know how to do bookkeeping and you need a controller then You might also need a bookkeeper but they can't keep up on that line on the flip side a unicorn is someone who's like gets so much better every year that they exceed your growth rate so they come in as an associate in marketing and when you need a manager they are ready to be a a director when you need a director they're ready to be a vp and you get like one or two of these like maybe in the lifetime of your organization so give them a lot of stock and a lot of money and pray to god they don't go run your competitors organization um the a player like just sits perfectly on the growth line of the team or organization. So again, ready from manager to director to VP, they're ready to take that role. But let's just say that that's 40% a year. It's not possible for most people to compound in certain things like accounting to get better compounding at 40% a year. You cannot, there isn't enough miracle grow to turn you from a bookkeeper to a CFO in three years. You're just, it's just not possible, right? But there could be a company that's gone from 2 million to 10 million to 20 needs that in each of these functions the person who's used to being at the top of the function you know the top marketing person could be a manager and then it's a director right everything in between their ability what they could d- deliver if, if the growth rate of the team is 40 percent and they're 20 percent, in between is the capacity building zone so that's the opportunity which is how do we try to get this person better how do we get them close to the line to be the next up to be the person but with that said very often is they can't be the person they can. They just went from associate to manager. They're They're ready to be a great manager and get 20% better. They're not ready to be a director. That is where a leader needs to come in and coach everyone and try to make their help them improve their capacity to get to the line, but also understand where it's not possible or realistic. I mean, I gave an example in the book where a friend of mine, I've heard this a lot. People are very loyal to their financial people, particularly if they don't steal from them, right? So they have a great controller and they've had them forever. And then suddenly they need a CFO and the controller gets pretty like you know, sort of rubbed the wrong way that a CFO is going to come in. But there are certain characteristics that a CEO knows about financial management and tax or otherwise that that the controller just may not be there most controllers most CFOs probably were controllers but again let's just say someone who's been a good controller for a while well my friend out of loyalty not wanting to lose the controller promoted this person to a CFO role and they made a million dollar tax mistake because they just didn't have the thing and he knew it and that was on him so his job was to keep growing her and his and, and, and if you'd done it correctly, he would have said, I'm going to hire a CFO and this person can be a mentor for you and train you. And I hope that one day you'll be a CFO here or otherwise. But if I objectively will look at what the organization needs, it's not what you have the experience at today.
1: Okay. So that leads us straight into capacity building. This is a really important part of the book that um, that is becoming something we've got to focus on as far as uh, in this in these days when um, it is so hard to know whether to bring people in from the outside or yeah. higher within. So talk to us about capacity building.
0: Yeah. And, and so, so as I defined it in Elevate, um, there are four pieces to, to, building capacity and that's just the process of how we get better I believe so there's and these go in a logical order they're spiritual intellectual physical and emotional spiritual for me is not religious and and, and let me say the four of them since we have the video it's like four quadrants of a ball if they kind of grow in tandem and they get bigger imagine faster more mass rolling downhill imagine a ball like this it's going to go all over the place and it's not that these things are always in sync but Spiritual is the foundation. Who are you? What do you want most? What are your personal core values? Because to me, that is the foundation of kind of level five leadership, which needs authenticity and self-awareness. So am I clear on my core values since those drive the most important decisions that I make? Intellectual capacity is like your personal operating system. So this is how do we learn? plan, execute with discipline like this is this is about our habits, our routines. How do we get better? You're listening to this podcast because you are trying to be better at something tomorrow that you don't know how to do today. And it's not more. Right. So think about it like if you upgrade your software or your operating system, it tends to do the task easier and with less energy. Sometimes knowing how to do something makes it a lot correctly, makes it a lot less work for us. Physical capacity mental physical well-being how like we show up the same work not work like this is stress all of these things are huge part of of sort of who we are and kind of staying healthy and then emotional capacity is you know our, our relationships the things how do we manage the things that are inside our control outside of our control um and and I would say if they were a sports car, spiritual capacity would be designing it. Intellectual capacity would be building it. Physical capacity would be testing it on a test track. And emotional capacity would be, all right, now how does it do with other drivers at 200 miles an hour um, on the same road? So that's how I defined it in Elevate. The difference in Elevate your team is, is how do these get applied to the organization so how do you how do you make sure that your leaders understand their core values their strengths what's important to them how do you develop a learning culture and a feedback culture and a culture that is all about improvement and not making mistakes and getting people the information they need how do you have a culture that gives that doesn't destroy people's physical well-being you know and a terrible manager can do that and Reestablish some boundaries that COVID have kind of wiped out. The remaining boundaries that cell phones didn't between kind of work and 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 life, um, and, and understanding that the data is pretty clear that just more work and always on work has worse outcomes. Um, both both for the business and for the health of the individual. And then emotional capacity, I think, is how do you have psychological safety in the organization? How do you get teams that focus on what they control and not what they control? And I have so many examples, usually sales teams. We all know the sales team in an organization. There's never a deal that they lost that there was their, their fault. They got screwed by the competitor. They got screwed by the client. Like This is a way of thinking that you either allow or you disallow in your organization, right? There are organizations where they're like, that conversation would never happen it would be like forget the outside world what did we do better did we call the client did we figure out what we could have done and and I, you know i tell an anecdote in the book about a, a company that we work with that like made up a story about our business because they didn't like the actual answers that we gave them about that we were taking kickbacks from another company because we weren't doing business with them and the reason was they just didn't like the want to deal with the actual feedback we gave them about their product, their agency team and otherwise. So they're like, Oh, they're just not working with us because they're taking money from these other guys, which was just a completely false narrative narrative that had propagated around their organization. And everyone was like, felt better about that narrative. So that, 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 that's sort of how I think they transfer from elevate to elevate your team.
1: Well, <clears throat> you know, part of uh, what you do in the book is, you know, Bob, just, rattled off this as he would because he's so familiar with that these these four capacity building um areas but in the book i want to let people know that if it sounds um like it, it he makes it actionable the bob you do there really are, there are plenty here. of to
0: do's in both books and i think yes. in the second book if you want to you want to talk about again getting into a team and what is how do you create a learning culture? How do you create, how do you teach people to give feedback and receive feedback? Cause no one ever teaches us this. So it's not a surprise that we're not very good at it. And and most people no. give feedback totally wrong and horribly in organizations. Like, why don't people like my personal criticisms of their work? Like, you know, why doesn't that make them want to get better? It's just feedback. And, and they, they don't, again, you've never been taught it.
1: No. Okay. So we're going to take a break and we come back. We've got a circle into this really important zone about core values. So let's take a break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk to Bob Glazer about some more important, we'll get down to some of those tips. Hey, Dr. Linda here. Did you know that a recent Harvard study found that exposure to just four minutes of good news each day will make you 32% less anxious? and 18% more optimistic? Just four minutes, we've all got that much time to devote to our worldview and our sense of flourishing. Yes, if you make a habit of learning about just one piece of remarkably good news each day, you can be the one in your circles with fresh insights, ideas, and a sense of strength. Okay, so that takes care of the problem in our personal lives. But what about our work environments? We need to feel like we come alive there, that we, that we have meaning and purpose there. Well, enter the goodness exchange for business for companies that want to create optimistic and values driven work cultures. Our content can give you a way to turn aspirational ideas like positivity into a concrete way of being in the workplace. In fact, employee retention and attraction, may depend on your company's ability to nurture a tone of innovation, interesting collaborations and possibility. And most importantly, the goodness exchange can meaningfully elevate your company's wellness efforts and benefits packages because your work culture can be offering employees something new, peace of mind and that sense of flourishing I mentioned before where employees' well-being isn't just a perk. It's the way we care about the individuals in our workplaces. So if you'd like to chat about infusing your culture with a tone of celebration about goodness and progress, we'd love to chat. Contact our CEO, Liesl. Her email address is info at goodnessexchange.com. Thanks. okay we're back hey we're here with uh, an amazing business leader uh, Bob Glazer who is talking to us about how to uh, build better teams better cultures around communication and and things that could uh, reduce our friction and how to uh, you know appreciate others I, I just I, I'm telling you Bob um, I love the, the small tips, which we're going to get into now, on how to bridge some of these gaps that cause us to have unnecessary stress in our work environments. Um, I just want to mention that Bob's the author of, a, of this amazing Friday Forward newsletter. So if you want to tap into something that's just every week, some common sense. Bob's very concise with his words, and it'll take you about a minute and a half to come away with a kind of a fresh point of view on lots and lots of subjects. Um, he's written for the Wall Street Journal, USA Today. He's got a USA Today bestseller. I, I can't thank you enough for joining us, Bob. Let's let's get into some of these tips, um, some topics that I wrote down that I was curious about hearing you speak about today. How about um, How about routines and habits? Let's start there, because I notice in the business cultures that I've been in, Boy, a lot comes down to how hard it is for people to change their routines and habits. We might be get good at it for two weeks, but eventually we're right back to where we started.
0: Yeah, and look, this is an interesting thing. I think that um, does it come talk about your personal morning routine or your habits or exercise or what's healthy? Well, if you're trying to focus on leadership behaviors and things that will help a pro- person improve overall, we're the same person inside and outside work. It's not like someone who gets up really late and is exhausted and is disorganized and is terrible with their personal financial management walks into work on time, great at budgets, like super sharp. And this is when they had to walk into work. Now they're just firing up Zoom and their and their PC. So. Let's let's set the premise that people are the same people and so if we're talking about things that help healthy behaviors and productivity and leadership like there's some best practices that again you could talk about or model in an organization around how you set your work and how not to be interrupted and what a good morning routine looks like and why eight hours of sleep is important and 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 give people the space to do that and encourage them to to do that so i think if you're talking about leadership and growing leaders to me those are the types of things that are important as as some of the tactical skills of of leadership again how do you show up you know well rested productive the data is pretty clear for those people who are not uh night owls I think like like 90 percent of the highest performers out there have some sort of morning routine you know they wake up they don't turn on you know whatever said whatever your poison is CNN or Fox like whatever side you know if you go turn over and grab your phone from the side of your bed first thing it's like being whisked into the office in your PJs, right? So I, I think that person who who was pretty enlightened would have their phone plugged in downstairs. They would get up. They would go for a walk. They would make their coffee. They'd go over their to-do list. Maybe they'd look at their whole life dashboard if they downloaded that off my site. They'd look at their goals. They'd come up with the three things they need to do that day. They would do all of this stuff in the first hour And they said, look, here are the three things I need to get done by 12 o'clock for this to be a good day. They would do all of this stuff before they turned on the news or their email or all of the inbound stuff that is going to put their day on the defensive. Like, that's what a highly productive person does in the morning.
1: Yeah. So how does that relate to like, um, oh, I loved your concept of buffers.
0: Yeah. Like, so we've we no one wants a commute you know, from being in traffic. But I think a lot of people are actually missing that commute as a separation from work. They're missing the morning commute. They're missing the afternoon commute. Having worked from home for years, I noticed at six o'clock I get off a Zoom call, go upstairs to a table of screaming kids, and I would be like, meh, I haven't had my like decompression time, and so I'd, I'd go take the dog, I'd walk around, I'd plan to run at 530, I'd end my calls earlier. So we need boundaries back. And I think it's incumbent upon leaders to let people live a life outside of work. Because again, the data is pretty clear. People are working more than ever. They're more exhausted than ever. If you believe in the data and the 80-20 rule and all this stuff, more hours will not equal more productivity. Focusing on the right few things will likely more productivity. And I think people need to leave work, get energized with what they're doing outside of work and come back to work, re-energize. And we just lost all those boundaries. So, you know, as an example, if you're the CEO or leader of a team and you have an out of office to your team that says, hey, I'm gonna be on vacation next week. And, uh, you know, here's my cell and I'll make time from three to six every afternoon and call me or email me. And if any client says anything, like you know where to reach me. I mean that sends a pretty clear message to your team that like vacation's not a vacation. If I'm the leader and I say, and 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 you know, I, I stole some examples from other people on this. I'm going on a vacation. This time is really important uh with me and my family. So like I trust everyone to handle anything. If there's an emergency, here's my wife's cell phone, text her and tell her to like get in touch with me, you know, about it, or email me at interrupt my vacation at accelerationpartners.com like that sends a totally different message on the, like a vacation is a vacation. Similarly, a tactic I started years ago, uh, which I really love for leaders is so simple, is unless it's an emergency or it's people on my exec team or people that I am peers with, I always say this not pejoratively, but, but people lower than you in the organization objectively will generally feel the need to respond to anything that you say right so if, a, if if an associate is getting an email from a VP or a direct this is not about worth this is just about perceived power dynamics they're going to do that so I'd I'd respond to emails on a Saturday morning because my kids were sleeping and then I get all these emails back and then I realize oh people think that if I'm emailing them on Saturday they need to write to me so starting five years ago I just started using delayed delivery for any email that's outside of normal work Hours. So if it's late at night, if I'm cleaning out my email on a Sunday night, all those are set to 8am or 8.30 Monday morning. The nice thing is I can be sound asleep on a Monday morning and it looks like I'm a hero because emails are going out, you know, all, all over the company. But I think people really appreciate that, that like, even if you work with teams overseas, they get stressed out when they see emails at two in the morning or otherwise, like it just Again, let's try to reestablish some boundaries. I, I, I may be the exception, but I actually think that like having a life outside of work will likely make you a better employee than being a workaholic. I, I think all the data backs that up. I don't know why some people operate otherwise.
1: Yeah, this is lovely. You know, um, <clears throat> there's a lot of um, respect and um, capacity building in having those boundaries too, right? You could, yeah. you, could, and, you could probably apply every aspect of capacity building to and that. by the
0: way, because I said I'm a centrist and I'll argue anything that I say. With that said, I think there's a weird paradox today where people want all of their time protected. They want all the flexibility within the normal work hours, but then they want their time protected outside the normal work hours. But again, it's good. My team, like, if you want to go see the kid softball game at 3 o'clock and you're not canceling a critical client call for that, like, go for it. I don't care. But when we have a million-dollar sales proposal for the biggest deal of the year and it's due on a Monday morning, like, I'm going to expect that you're going to spend some time on Sunday night on that. Like, to me, that's the quid pro quo. I don't – there's a difference between me wanting you working on the weekend to prove that you're a team player and a massive – Move the business proposal that is just objectively due on Monday morning, right? It should be the exception. It should not be the rule. But I think of a lot of employees want this flexibility to be a one-way street, and that's not going to work. Like either, like there, are they are bills that have to be paid. There's business things that have to be done. My my uh, relative was telling me, you know, that they were having this problem with all the engineers who wanted to take the same two weeks off during the summer, and their product release was two weeks later. And they're like, look, like guys, like this is our core product, like that we raised our money on. Like, we, like, we got to figure this out. I know, I know you're entitled to it. Like, but I, we're not going to raise any more money if we blow our product launch. Yeah.
1: That is, that is the real, the real shift. I see that good leaders are starting to work with their teams in a, in a way that gets to people's core values. And, and we got, so let's talk about core values, but how I relate that to what you just said is, you know, Part of anybody's core values is being able to put bread on the table, you know, being self supportive right so we got to pay attention when those
0: and it's being part of a team there is no part of any team that doesn't require a sacrifice of something you don't want to do every once in a while if you want to be a single i was on a panel of hr leaders two years ago and they said what do you think is the big trend for 2022 and i said i think i think it's flexibility and the speaker that went to after me said i think people want to work where they want when they want and on what they want and i was like i i can't leave that alone so like i'm sorry again i i like i was like that's not being part of a team if you want to be a four hire mercenary you want to go drive for uber you want to work in the gig economy you want to be a consultant you can do that no no one goes to nick saban at alabama and says look i i, I got my own way of doing this i want to do it how i want it where like they there you can't shoot all the time you can't like that is the value the pro and the con of being part of a team i think people part of the reason why we have all this mental health disaster and stuff now is because people are lonely. As a guy who wrote a book on remote work and stuff, I actually am a big believer in people getting together. And I don't think people know what they want when they say that they want it. I think they say, I want to work from home. I want to talk to anything. And then the data shows that they're like really lonely and isolated and they need more of that interaction and socialization. But let's not pretend that being part of a team doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you can do what you want. That is the inherent, Thing about being part of a team. If it, if you want to try running your own business, you've done it. I, it's not as easy as it looks, but like everyone's entitled to go do that. But I don't think you can take a a free agent mindset to a company or a team. I just don't think that that's healthy.
1: It's so true. Now we now we have to slip into core yeah, values.
0: Core values. Yeah. Yeah. So people get these conflated a lot, but there are organizational core values, and these are often bs at a lot of organizations but if you have a great culture it should be the actual behaviors that are getting rewarded the things that the company values you should hear about them it's not that they're on a wall it's that people are saying them talking about them making decisions based on them those need to be a collective that's been decided on of the pieces of the dna that everyone wants as sort of their shared pillars of the organization I do a lot of work on the individual core values because what well, they should align to the organizations mostly. If they are in contrast to the organizations, you're probably at the wrong job. And like, I can think of a lot of instances where it's not a good or a bad, but it would indicate that it's not the right fit or organization. And having again on these college tours, they are big fifty thousand city schools, you know, urban city schools. they are small three thousand person liberal arts in the woods schools totally different value propositions both great schools very unlikely that someone from one would like the other one right so we're trying to find the one that has the things that 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 we like but to me understanding your personal core values is the foundation of your leadership style understanding that a lot of these have come from formative childhood experiences they are your reality of how you show up for a leader when you finally do this work and it's pointed out to you there's a lot of oh bleep like I've totally missed this. Like an example is I've seen a couple of people as we go through this that have a, a, a core value or a why, which is a whole different thing of trust. Trust is essential to them. Having done this enough, I can ask that I'll ask someone, I'll say, Linda, if it was you, like, I'm not going to ask you what it is, but was there some part of your early childhood where there was a large violation of trust and nine, nine out of 100 times that person will either turn ashen or well up or look like they're about to cry. And again, I'll say, again, I don't need to know the story. But now I know that that is a value for you. Right. So these are people for whom they have a small circle of friends they, they, they trust. But what happened when these when they looked at the when we looked at their teams and they started thinking about it, if someone on their team was five minutes late for a meeting, if they missed a deadline, if they couldn't be found at three or four in the afternoon like two days in a row they were like in jail and the key was thrown out like they were they they, they for the leader that set off deep feelings of this person cannot be trusted and for this person someone who be, is a threat is like an existential threat this is i feel like you're the same person in in your role in the business and leadership as you are outside of it and once they realize that and they could articulate that they could communicate that. They could say to their team, "Look, I am someone who trusts. I give trust right away. Just so you know, if you if you break trust with me, it's almost impossible to get it back." And here are the types of things that do this. I could list this for a hundred other core values where people have gone to their teams around self-awareness, otherwise, and said, "Look, this is really important to me, and I want you to understand it." Because as your man, like, I want you to. People know that, like, mine is find a better way, and 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 I'll say to them, like. Look, if you want a job that's the same thing every day and is like, you know, peaceful repetition, like, I, I am not your guy. Like, like, if you want challenge and you're super bored and you like that stuff, like, I'm your guy and you'll never be bored a day in life. And I said that to the last person I hired and he still tells me that three years later. So it's just that ability to be like, look, this is me. This is who I am. This is how I lead like it definitely will resonate with some people and it will not with others. But to me, that is true, authentic leadership. Like I I am just going to lead in line with my values. If I know what they are, then that's a lot easier than if they're guiding me very strongly, but I can't articulate them.
1: Hmm. Do you still have your course about core values, Bob? I do.
0: We're, 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 we're actually, uh, it's just going, by the time this is out, we're going through a big upgrade. We're adding a month more of content based on all the Two thousand people that have taken it now, and actually, we're adding a live coaching option, which is you take the course and then you join a group coach and you hear other people talk through their values because we tested that in December and it was super helpful for people.
1: Well, I can see this being super helpful for people. I keep i I took Bob's course um way 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 back in the beginning.
0: Yeah, you were like hey. early, early, early yes. adopter.
1: Yes. And um, I tell you, it's it's a very revealing part of being in the working world is to realize how much your core values, it, even, it can, can sound kind of spooky-ooky and existential, but when you really drill down into what your core values are, you can see why you don't get along with Alice in accounting. 100%. You can see why your 13-year-old particularly gets under your skin. You can see why Aunt Martha, the minute she walks in the door at Thanksgiving, your hair is on it.
0: Yeah, and there, and to that point, right? There, there are people where we have individual values that kind of click or mesh. Like mine's find better ways. Someone else who's like stable, predictable, reliable. Like we're gonna mesh around. They're like, let's leave it, and I'll be like, let's break it. But if all five of those, and I don't know if it's Aunt Martha or not, are are are, are in conflict. That is not gonna work as a relationship. It is not gonna work as a community. It is not gonna work what I call the big three as sort of a vocation or a place of employment. Like you don't have to be perfectly aligned with everyone, but you cannot be perfectly in conflict with people that you need to be really close with.
1: So how do you think core values, there's a bigger picture going on in the world of employment, like with all this um how oh, there's a trend when you're looking for jobs or 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 diligent uh, workplaces are trying to put out what their core values are in their, in a statement site format so that it may not even apply for the joint. Okay. (laughs) I was wondering about that because it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I don't think people are reading the core values established on somebody's website and saying, oh, that's the place for me.
0: I think it's they should if them. they were real, but it would more be like, someone always yeah. says, well, how do I know to test this? And I was like, look, yeah. what is the gold standard in interviewing, behavioral-based interviewing? So you should do the same thing. If the company says its value is integrity, say, look, give me an example of when the CEO made a point about integrity or when someone was rewarded for that Like and most times the people are gonna be like, huh? Like crickets, like they don't even know what the values are. So." I don't think that that is wrong. I think my new word, and I like this a lot in the DEI space too, performative, there's a lot of people that rather than actually do the hard work and the right thing, they do the performative version of it. Um, And I think with a lot of core values, it's performative rather than real. I I think Mm -hmm. you should try to find a company whose values align but the values are gonna be what they actually reward. I mean, Enron values were integrity, respect, all this stuff. What you got rewarded for at Enron was taking ridiculous risks, stabbing people in the back. like, all, like That's actually what you got rewarded for. So that's, that's what you're trying to figure out. You would have to actually say to someone, tell me a story about this. If your value is own it, ours is, tell me a, a story. The CEO must've talked about this at some point or otherwise, or else it, it's, it's, not, it's not very real.
1: This is such. You just stumble upon something that I think is really, really important for folks who are um, who are happy in their workplaces, unhappy in their workplaces, or questioning whether they're where they should be. Is this what gets rewarded? It's super important. I, my might daughters-
0: explicitly or implicitly because some cultures yes. do both, right? What is what yes. is what is actually being rewarded? That's what you. That's what you could ask in an interview, like. Who, who, like the super aggressive risk-taking person is getting promoted at the company that their value is risk management, right? So, yes, it takes a little work to 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 figure out, you know, what, what that is. Um, you know, the other thing that I think is an interesting paradox in this whole DE&I discussion, or I don't know whether. People say, I want a company that agrees with me and my values or my perspectives on things. Well, there's this weird paradox where what if they don't – you're assuming that that means that everyone in the company needs to agree. Like you want the company to take a stance on something, but you basically are saying you only want the company to take stances on the things that you agree with and not the things that you don't agree with. Well, that doesn't sound like a super inclusive environment to me. I'm actually – I understand why consumer companies need to have their brand and their stance or otherwise. Most companies are B2B and otherwise. I'm not a big fan of companies taking stances on things. I think the stance is usually the CEO's stance. I think they can say we stand for these things and they can point out things that are aligned or not aligned. But I heard someone say once too, even if we agree on the problem, most people don't agree on the solution. So I think it becomes very polarizing for companies to try to keep speaking out on things when that's not their business. When the assumption is that 100% of your employees share that viewpoint. Uh, I I think it's fine for the CEO to say, this is my opinion. I saw a lot of that in Roe v Wade. I think people were very good at saying, this is my viewpoint. I, I, I would not speak for all my employees. I could not imagine to speak for all my employees. But this is my viewpoint. And this is how I want to make sure all of my employees you know are, are, are protected but I I really struggle with should companies have viewpoints on everything because I, I, I again to this inclusion argument what, what you hear people say is I wanted a company that agrees with me on everything like that's that's actually what they're saying
1: yeah and that's so and you know a company with 70,000 employees how is you know. that
0: possible a company with a hundred <laughs> But yeah. but are they tolerant? This is the value. Are they tolerant? Are they open to dialogue? Do they support me? Are, again, are, are they're not saying one thing or doing another. I, that's different than than agreeing or having a public statement or otherwise. I just think people need to really be careful around what they're asking for on these things. Because if you think everyone in a company agrees on something, then I don't know how that's a very inclusive company viewpoint.
1: Yeah. Okay. So... What do you see that are the positive trends these days? Are you looking at anything and saying, oh, that's going in the right direction?
0: Uh, that's hard. No, I'm I'm, I I'm, I'm a pragmatic optimist. I, I do think people are, like I said, I I, I think the era of the steroid growth company kind of ending is good for everyone. I know this seems weird, but I, I think moving back to, to me, profitability is a core element of sustainability. And I think people getting back to thinking about companies that grow at a reasonable rate, that grow with people, that it's not about growth at all costs, and it's about trying to figure out what we do. This is in an organizational context. Um, I, it's funny, profit became like a bad word, but I think people forgot the fact that like, if you it, it, you have to keep borrowing money, if your company is it is inherently not sustainable, <laughs> if you are borrowing money constantly and losing, and you might not, have i think we're finding out it's just not that easy to turn on the profit switch if you don't have the dna in your company of um of of uh of profitability it's not that easy to turn on and so there was a huge talent drain into these high growth no money organizations i actually think the playing field for all organizations is being a little bit leveled now as people reevaluate those were always risk reward but for the last whatever years, it looked like all reward and no risk. Now you've got the people underwater and options, eight years of work, not going to make any money. I I, I just actually think it's for other organizations that aren't trying to grow at all costs. It's it's leveling the talent playing field. It's redistributing talent. And people are thinking about what kind of organization do I want to work with?
1: Now, if this interview were only three or four minutes and you you really had to boil it down to what you really wish people knew, Bob, like, is there something in this book, Elevate, some overarching principle that sometimes you listen to the news or you read the business page or whatever, and you say, I really wish people knew, what, what would it be?
0: In that context, I think that there is a cost to all of this hyper growth stuff. I think we're seeing there's a financial cost, an emotional cost to to people, to organizations, to all these companies competing against each other and destroying each other that were overfunded. And and I think, again, as someone who really believes in growth, I do think organizations need to grow and evolve. I don't know they need to grow 100% a year. I really think there is this better way, which is to grow by growing the people. And I think hopefully, you know, this is a playbook for organizations that want to do that. As I said in the beginning, I think we're in this defensive moment, at least for the rest of this year, where everyone is trying to play defense because they're not sure which way it's going to go. But after that, they're going to have to get back to growth. And the question is, do we go back to the old playbook, you know, or do we go back to this, I think, new and different playbook that says, I want to put a shuttle on Mars where like the people are alive when it when it lands there.
1: It's lovely. That is so lovely. So Bob, thank you so much for just sharing your your timeless wisdom and business and people and all those things. Um where what can people do next? I obviously again I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. uh tell people about this, this beautiful yellow book. It's just got really practical tips. You know, you may, you may find things you're already doing really well, but you might find a tweak there. I found sections like that, that you had just the perfect tweak to what I was, what I was already doing and then stuff that opened up whole new landscapes. So thank you very much for, um, for publishing that book. What, what can people do? We've mentioned Friday forward. What else can they, how can they connect with you and expand their work with you?
0: Yeah. Again, you could, you could, buy one of the Elevate books Friday forward. If you want to just read some of these things and see if Linda's telling the truth or not, uh, you can go to fridayfwd.com, but all of my stuff is at robertglazer.com, dot rcom So there's the podcast, which I talk to a lot of people on each of these subjects of capacity building, um, books, uh, the core values course is on there too. So everything is really Friday forward is all in that, uh, one place.
1: Yeah. I didn't even mention the podcast. Bob, Bob interviews some amazing global thought leaders on his podcast. So I'd refer people there as well. Well, thank you so much, Bob. I I, uh, I always look forward to our conversations. We, I want to also say that Bob is a guest writer for the Goodness Exchange. Once a month, we find one of these amazing pieces that he's written, and we feature it on a Friday. So you can also find Bob on the Goodness Exchange website with all our other wonderful articles about what's right with the world. So thank you, Bob. I hope the, uh, the bits of wonder and inspiration and new thought processes that we've shared will get you through your week, and you'll start seeing all the joy and um, success that we've been talking about. Thanks, Bob.
0: Thanks, Linda.